Episode 25, Overcoming Perfectionism and Giving Yourself Permission to Screw Up with entrepreneur and author Kristen Hadid. My name is Dan Mason. In 2012, I was overweight, getting divorced, battling depression, and feeling trapped in a career where I was successful but bored and unfulfilled. And it's actually the greatest gift I've ever been given. I use my pain as a springboard to discover my life's purpose. Now, I want to share the same tools and strategies which help transform my life with you. So you can live Life Amplified. Oscar Wilde once said, experience is simply the name we give our mistakes. And our guest today has made so many of them, she wrote a book about it. She says it's actually made her a better leader. Kristen Hadid is the author of the book, Permission to Screw Up, How I Learned to Lead by Doing Almost Everything Wrong. Kristen imagines a world in which all organizations have cultures that empower people to keep climbing toward the best version of themselves. As the CEO and founder of Student Made, a successful cleaning company that hires only students, Kristen has fostered a unique perspective on leadership, organizational culture, and engaging the next generation. She's been featured on news outlets including PBS, Fox, and Forbes. Her first TED Talk has received more than 2 million hits on YouTube, and it was such an honor to spend a half hour with her recently, where we discussed a variety of wide-ranging topics, including how she accidentally started a business because she wanted to buy a pair of designer jeans. You're going to love that story. Why 75% of her workforce quit on the first day and how it was one of her greatest learning experiences. The value of vulnerability in life and in leadership. Why your job is not your purpose. The importance of giving yourself permission to fail forward. And we'll spend a few minutes talking about the M word, millennials. So if you are the parent or an employer of millennials, Kristen's got a great perspective that's going to help you better relate to that generation. And if you're a millennial yourself, Kristen has some amazing insight on what you need to do to make a bigger impact in the workforce and in the world. This is one of my favorite interviews we've done. I think she is just so smart. I think she's brilliant. I learned a lot by spending time with her, and I think you will as well. So if this interview and podcast serves you today, make sure you let us know you're listening. Just screenshot the podcast, upload it to Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to tag us both. You can find her at Kristen Hadid, and you can find me at CSC Dan Mason. Sit back, take off the perfectionism mask, give yourself permission to screw up. This is an inspiring half hour with Kristen Hadid. Kristen Hadid, welcome to Life Amplified, my friend. Thank you for having me. It is so good to talk to you. I want everybody to check out your book, Permission to Screw Up, How I Learned to Lead by Doing Almost Everything Wrong. I got to check it out while I was traveling last week and just an awesome read about leadership and a lot of great life strategies in there as well. But I think people are going to really be amazed by your story. You are a successful entrepreneur. You've had your business now for how many years have you have you had student made? 11. And you started stumbled into it simply because you wanted to get a pair of designer jeans. Tell everybody how that process came about. Yeah. So I am what you might call an accidental entrepreneur because it was never my intention to start a company. I was 19 and I was at the University of Florida, sophomore, very lost. 
I had changed my major nine times by the middle of my sophomore year. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I settled on finance because I thought, oh, you know, maybe I can meet an investment banker, work on Wall Street, make a lot of money. Because to me at the time, that's what success was. It was about making a lot of money. And I was equally broke as I was lost. And I would go to the mall sometimes just to window shop and imagine all the things I'd be able to buy with my big salary that I would have one day. And this one particular time I, I walked by a store and there were a pair of jeans in the window and I just, I saw them and I thought I have to have those. And I don't know what it was about them. I mean, today I would never even wear them. They were so ugly, but I don't know. In the moment I just fell in love with them and they were $99 and it sounds so silly, but I was willing to do whatever it took to just make enough money to buy those jeans. So I went home and I put an ad on Craigslist to clean someone's house. I charged exactly the price of the jeans. It was a disaster. I had no idea what I was doing, but the woman who hired me really needed help. So she asked me to come back every week and she taught me how to clean and eventually told her friends about me. And, and that's how it all began. And from there, you started to build out a business hiring other students who were going to school with you in Gainesville. And gradually you took on more and more clients and built out student made, correct? Yeah. You know, for a while it was really small and Again, I thought I was moving to New York, so this was not my career. I mean, cleaning, are you kidding? You know, that, no way. And as time went on, the work was really hard. It was really physically exhausting. And so I hired a couple of people to help me, but again, very small. And then right before my senior year, I got this contract to clean hundreds of empty apartments. And it was only three weeks, 21 days to clean about 800 apartments, all empty. I thought this would be a great way for people to just make a lot of money in a short period of time. So I hired 60 students and it sounds a lot harder than it was. I mean, I just, if you were a student and you had a pulse, you got the job and <laughs> we, um, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I always say that that contract is what ended up changing the whole trajectory of my life. Because along the way, you know, it's great to start a business to some degree, just from the process of incorporating an LLC or doing whatever you have to do. The process to start a business is relatively easy. There's not a huge barrier to entry. The process of leading a team of people is an entirely different skill set. And I know early on, you ran into some pretty big obstacles. Tell everybody about the day 75% of your employees quit. Oh, what a day it was. That's when I was saying that that contract changed the trajectory of my life. This is why. So I had these 60 people and they were all my peers. You know, at this point I was 21 and I had no idea how to lead a team and inspire a team and make a team feel valued. And every movie I'd ever seen about business, the boss just kind of sits in the office while everyone does the work. And so I just emulated what I thought I was supposed to do. And obviously that's not leadership. So I'm sitting in this air conditioned clubhouse while these 60 people are out there cleaning these filthy, I mean, just filthy apartments. And it's so hot outside and I don't leave the air conditioning. I don't go and check on them. I don't know their names. I don't, you know, I'm just sitting in this, in the middle of this clubhouse, just waiting for the, the day to end. And my people, they didn't feel valued. They didn't feel like they mattered to me. And, and a few days into the contract, 45 of the 60 walked into the clubhouse where I was sitting and they quit. I call them the 45. Five. Yeah, they walked out. That's the day that now when I look back, I realize I became obsessed with learning how to be a better leader and with learning how to build a company where people really wanted to be. And I was able to get those people back. I called an emergency meeting at my house later that night and I promised everyone an early paycheck if they showed up because I knew that's what would make people show up. And I just owned up to it. You know, I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm really, I've never done this before. And 
I was unintentionally vulnerable. And I think they saw me as a human being and they wanted to help me and they all came back and nothing was really ever the same after that summer. Vulnerability is a big theme in the book, Permission to Screw Up, which you can go buy right now on Amazon. But you talk about that, just owning up to the mistake, coming from a vulnerable place, explaining to these people why you needed them, why it was important that they stayed. But then there's also some themes later on, and I totally get this because at 23 years old, I was leading a major market radio station in Cleveland. So I had that same trajectory of being like the junior executive. But you talk about having to have difficult conversations and be assertive as a leader at a young age. What did you learn about that, just about being able to speak up for your needs in business and really in life? As the business grew, I ended up turning down a job in finance. I stuck with the business, which is called Student Made. As the team is growing, I'm finding that I'm so afraid to hurt people's feelings. And there's things I'm noticing that they're doing that really are hurting the team or the company or me. And I'm afraid to speak up because 45 had just quit a few summers ago and, and I was so afraid that if I said something hurtful that the person would just walk out. And I didn't know how to give feedback in a way that wasn't hurtful. So my reaction was just to not give it at all, which is not good because what I've learned is that the best leaders and anyone is a leader, you know, a leader has the ability to impact the person to the left of them or the right of them. We all have that ability. And a leader's job is to help the people around them be the best they can be. And it's the same role that you have in a relationship, you know, as a friend, you, you want the people in your life to be the best they can be. And so when you see something that they're doing that's hurting themselves or hurting their relationships, you have to speak up about it. And I learned a really effective way to do that. We teach it in our company now, and we learned it from this wonderful business, Barry Way Miller. It's an engineering company that I love, but it's called the FBI. And it's a sentence and each letter stands for something. So the F stands for feeling how you felt. The B stands for behavior. What was the behavior that made you feel that way? And the I stands for impact. What was the impact of that behavior? And the idea is when you say all those three things, it's very specific and the person knows exactly what they did and they're more inspired to change their behavior. So for example, let's say someone was late to a meeting at Student Made. I may say something like, I felt disappointed when you were 30 minutes late to the meeting this morning. And the impact of that is now I'm not sure if I can rely on you. And then I don't want to feel that way. So can you help me? Can you help me understand why this happened today? And and the FBI, I swear, it changed my life. So I encourage you to use it because, yeah, it's our job to make the people around us the best that, that they can be. And that means giving feedback. And what I love that you talk about in the book is this wasn't just an approach for you as the manager and the leader of the organization. You had your team members who were going out, you know, cleaning houses, able to use that approach with each other, which really saved you the time of having to get involved and micromanage every disagreement. Yeah. And, you know, I think if you're in a job right now where let's say there's something about the company that's bothering you or the person who's leading your team, you know, there's something that they're doing that's hurting your team. This is a great way to go to your leader and say, hey, you know, this is how I'm feeling. And the thing is, people usually don't know that their actions are impacting others. And when they do know, they are usually inspired to change. You mentioned earlier reaching that point in graduation and you had to make this big decision. You had a dream your entire life about moving to New York, living in Manhattan and living the investment banker lifestyle who can afford all the designer jeans she wants. Or you could have stayed in Gaines 
and continued with your business. How many people were in your ear telling you, well, you don't want to clean houses the rest of your life. Go to New York. How do you navigate making such a a big decision like that? Yeah, you know, I think it goes back to my childhood because I'm very lucky that I have two parents who set a great example for me growing up of following your curiosity and following what makes you excited and not caring what the world has to say about it. And and I watched my parents leave jobs when they weren't passionate about them anymore. And I watched them follow what made them excited. So growing up, I emulated that. And the truth is when I graduated and I was offered this job while it had a great salary, six figure salary, it was exactly what I thought I wanted. I wasn't excited about it. There wasn't any part of me that was excited. And when I thought about student made, I was so excited. But the thing was, I wasn't making any money. And every penny I did make, I had to put it back into the business to give it a chance to succeed. And I ended up staying in a college town. All my friends moved away. And, you know, yeah, everyone was like, what are you doing? This is such a stupid decision. But in my gut, I knew that it was right. And I knew I was excited about it. And I didn't want to live my life and one day look back and regret and, and wonder what could have happened if I stayed and pursued this opportunity. Now, I believe you have two branches at Student Made. You have two different cities that you're operating out of. We sold our Pensacola location. So we we are only in Gainesville. Oh, okay. So I don't think a lot of people realize, too, in the housekeeping industry, it's not a huge profit margin industry. You have a lot of expenses. You have a lot of payouts. There's cleaning supplies. There's travel. So on some level, the six-figure salary in New York had to look attractive. But what about the job? Because so often, you know, when I'm coaching people through career transitions or helping people just figure out who they are as a coach, this idea of purpose comes up. And I think that so often we think our job is our purpose. And a lot of people make that mistake. But I don't think there's any part of you in reading this book in the few minutes we've spent together. I don't think you're going to tell me that cleaning people's houses is your purpose in life. But I'm really curious how that experience of doing that work ultimately led you to your purpose. What is your bigger why that you discovered from launching this company? It was really hard for a long time because I can remember being on a plane and the person next to me asking, you know, what do you do? And and I'd be so excited to tell them that I have a cleaning company called Student Made. And it was just like conversation over. They didn't ask any other questions. You know, no one was interested. It was so frustrating because I knew deep down there was something special. I just didn't know how to put it into words. I didn't know how to articulate what it was because I knew it wasn't vacuuming. It wasn't dusting. Like you said, it was not cleaning that I was passionate about. And with time, what I began to piece together is that I really was in the business of helping people grow. I grew as a leader. You know, I didn't have any other job experience. So everything that I was learning in Student Made, I was experiencing for the first time. And the feedback, this is a great example. You know, I struggled a lot with giving feedback to people. And once I started to figure it out, once I learned about the FBI, once I started trying that method, I thought, you know, I really need to teach this to my people. It's selfish if I keep it to myself. They'll struggle too if, if I don't teach them how to do this. Everything I would learn, I would teach to our people. So now what we say at Student Made is that we empower our people so that they transcend their limits. And everything we do is about teaching them how to be stronger leaders, They take classes on things like how to build relationships and how to find their strengths and how to find an environment after student made where they can really contribute with their strengths. Things that don't have to do with cleaning at all. Now, yes, they clean houses, but there's this whole other side of our business that is not about cleaning. And that's what it's really about. And what's so interesting is when people come to us, they say, is this the place where you learn how to be a leader? It's not, is this the place where I get to clean houses, you know? How cool. The point of all of this is that you can find your purpose and inject it in the most unlikely place 
and your job does not define that purpose. It's more how do you bring your purpose to your job and be patient because it took a long time for me to string that together. And I would say really only in the last, I've had my business for 11 years. I've probably only been clear on my purpose for the last four or five. You said earlier when you were talking about just going into the mall and window shopping, you said that you believe that success was about making money. And that's kind of the culture that we grow up in. What have you come to believe success is now? It means different things to different people. But for me, it is not about money. It is about helping people grow. You know, it's I measure my success by how much people grow around me. My best days at work are when someone does something that they don't think they can do and they achieve it. And I get to see the look on their face when they achieve it. And to me, those are the moments that matter. And the money, I know so many people who make so much money, but they circle the parking lot in the morning and they don't want to go into work. We don't deserve that. We deserve to be happy and fulfilled. Um, And I think when you follow that, the money somehow just naturally like works itself out. That's a big lesson I've learned since I left corporate America and started my business is when you lead with the give, that money always comes back to you. When you're giving your energy and service of others, money returns because on some level, money's just an energetic currency that we exchange for things of value. But so often I think it's easy for people to think about what am I getting from the world and when it's really you stepping up, giving your gifts in the way that you're able to connect with them, it always seems to work out in the long run. Yep. Great for us to sit here and say right now, somebody else in a soul-sucking job is like, screw you, Mason. (laughs) job. So much of the book talks about learning through mistakes, and you detail some incredible stories from, you know, getting into a trademark violation to having three quarters of the company walk out. But I want to talk to you about this because we have this built-in perfectionism in our culture. And to some degree, it's sort of the school system that we all grew up in. You know, we all wanted to be on the honor roll. And if you were right 90% of the time, you were an A student. And God forbid, you were only right maybe three out of four times because you were just average. And if you were right less than 70% of the time, oh, well, you're a failure and you're embarrassing your family. But in business and in life, you're going to screw up and you're going to screw up often. How do you reconcile that and give yourself permission to fail forward? I'm so glad you asked this question because I want to tie it back to my book. When I was writing my book, I was very lost at first. What do I write about? You know, and I started writing about success. I wrote about all the wonderful things that Student Made had done. And it was empty. I wouldn't even want to read it. I asked a friend of mine who's written several books. I said, how do you know when you're writing the right book? And he said, you know when it's the right book when it's really hard to write. And I thought about that. The book was not hard to write. So I thought, what would have made this really hard to write? And what I realized is I talked all about the lessons I learned, but I didn't talk about how I learned them and what I had to get wrong to learn them. And that was really hard because I had to go back and remember you know, moments and times where I wasn't proud of, of the way I handled something or my actions really had a negative impact on people. And I had to tell those stories. And when I started my company, I would read so many books. A lot of my mentors were in books. I love the books and don't get me wrong, wonderful books, but I never really found a book that made me feel like it was normal to screw up. And I was screwing up left and right. You know, I went, I remember the 45 people quit and I was like, is there a book for this? There is no book for that. You know? (laughs) um, So I think we're just programmed to paint this perfect picture that it's easy and we have all the answers and we don't need help. And that's a lot of pressure. And the reality is everyone's human. No one's perfect. No one has the answers. And when we pretend like we do, no one trusts us because we know that no one could possibly be perfect. So I say, screw up, 
it's where your biggest lessons will be learned. You know, when you look back on your life, you'll realize those screw ups were your defining moments. Some like my big one with the 45 people quitting could change the whole trajectory of your life. And then talk about those, talk about what happened, talk about what you learned, because that's how we make failure more comfortable. And we give the people around us permission to screw up when we talk about our failures. When you look at the statistics, and one of the things that I was blown away by with Student Made is for an industry where the average length of service from an employee is several months, you guys have a retention span of, is it two and a half years? Yes, it's, it varies because some students, you know, they, they graduate, they do study abroad and go away for a couple years or a year, but on average, two and a half years. Which is fascinating, really in a housekeeping industry on the surface is getting that sort of retention, although I think you've really explained what's really in it for them by being there. But if you look at the employee engagement statistics globally, only 16% of people are getting up every day excited, passionate about the work that they're doing. Now, the rest of the people globally vary between just sort of going through the motions, collecting a paycheck, to flat out hating their job and hating what they do every day. Is the problem bad leadership within companies or is the problem that is a culture we just don't value really connecting to ourself and discovering our purpose or is the answer somewhere in between? I think it takes two. And this is what I, I mean by that. At Student Made, it's called the line. It's like a metaphor that we use to describe how it will work between us and someone new that joins the team. And what we say is this relationship's only going to work if we're both standing at this line. And it's it's a line of tape in our office. We, you know, and, and we say the leadership team, the people who are leading this company, when we stand at the line, what it means is we're going to invest in your learning and your growth. We're going to empower you. We're going to believe in you. We're going to trust you. We are going to stand by you when you fail, as long as your decisions are made with our values in mind. You know, we're going to support you and build a relationship with you. We're going to do all these things. But it only works if you're at the line too. And, and what that means is you have to want to be here. You have to want to invest in yourself. You have to do something with the feedback that we give you. You have to give us feedback when you think we could grow. You have to be open to the relationship we want to build with you. You, you know, It's this idea that if one side isn't at the line, it doesn't work. And I think you have to ask yourself, if you're disengaged in your job, are you standing at the line? Are you going into work every day, wanting to be there, giving feedback when you're discouraged about something? If you're not, Try to stand at the line. See if that makes a difference. If you are at the line and the company that you're in, the leadership team, if they're not at the line with you, that's an issue. you know. And, and what I've learned is you can't make someone stand at the line. You can't force them. You can't change the way they think. You can't change their actions. You can give them feedback, but it's up to them to change. So we say that if, if one party isn't standing at the line, our students have every right to leave the company. And if they're not at the line, we have every right to ask them to leave. I use that metaphor because I think engagement is really everyone's responsibility. Yeah. It's not just one side. Well, you're a millennial yourself and you employ many millennials. Millennials obviously get a bad rap in our culture. And for people out there who might operate their own business or they're parents of millennials, and it's almost like I can't relate to my kid, what do they need to understand about this generation? Because obviously they're one of the largest and they're going to be running the culture sooner rather than later. What do you think the misconceptions are and, and what do people need to know? I don't like to paint everyone with the same brush. So I certainly am not saying that every millennial is this way. In my company, we do employ primarily millennials and we have Gen Z as well, the, the generation that comes after, but we also employ baby boomers and Gen Xers, you know? So I think the challenge in any company is you have people with all these different backgrounds and experiences and how do you 
create a, an environment where they work together in sync and become a team. But when we look at millennials specifically, I think there are a few obstacles. Um, and again, not, not for everyone, but one is independent thinking. Technology has a lot to do with this. You know, when we have a question, our first instinct is just to Google it or we need directions. We just type in the address and, and we're told exactly step by step where to go. Some of us had parents who loved us, no doubt loved us, but overhelped and did some of the hard things for us. And so now we're going into the workplace and we're being asked to solve this challenge or, or take on this project. And we are not used to having to think for ourselves. Mm. So there's a lack of confidence, a fear of failing. And so we have to really make people feel comfortable and safe and tell them, look, it's okay if you mess up. I just want you to try. And then parents, for those who have young kids at home really thinking about, you know, how can you put the decision making now on your children so that when they do get into the workplace, they are more confident in making decisions for themselves. And then I think the other piece is the relationship piece and the the social skills, because we grew up building our relationships from behind screens, you know, texting and emailing and social media. And we have allowed, and I think this spans beyond millennials, we have allowed technology to replace the interaction we're supposed to have as human beings. And we're kind of like robots. Yeah. And just go to a conference room and look at everyone. They're on their phones, emailing and catching up on their phones instead of talking to the person next to them before the meeting starts. So we at Student Made make a big effort to not do texting. Um, everything is pretty much face-to-face. -face. And we work a lot on teaching how to build relationships and how to communicate. So anything you can do with your kids, have them call and make their own doctor's appointments. You know, Have them order at the restaurant. Just those little things make such a big difference because so many students come to us and they can't even talk in the interview. They're not comfortable. For a millennial who's listening right now, one of the big words that you hear a lot from the millennial generation is, well, I want to make an impact. I want to make an impact. And sometimes it's like they've been at the company three months and, and they can't figure yeah. out why they haven't ascended to CEO yet. What is the mindset shift that you would give to your peers that would help set them up for success in a better way as they're entering the workforce, so they're going into a new job or really just trying to find out who they are and what they want to contribute to the world? Yeah, I think that we have been programmed to expect things instantly because our whole world is that. You know, we want to watch a movie, we click a few buttons and there it is. And we want to buy something, we go online, click a few buttons, it's on our doorstep. And a career takes time and patience. And it's not that we can't move up and be promoted. It's just, it takes time. And we have to show that we're invested in our own growth. So we can't go to you know our leader and say, hey, I want to move up. It's what do I need to do? What things would you suggest I start doing now if moving up down the road is something I want to do? And reading and investing in your own growth. You know, I think that's, that's a really big key. But also, just because a company can't give you that promotion, don't just jump and go to the next job. You know, I see a lot of my friends going from job to job to job because you think, oh, well, maybe the next company can give it to me. Look for the opportunities that are going to cause you to learn something. And when you find that place, don't leave. Stay, learn, try, get it wrong, learn from it because it's called identity capital. And mm. you use that identity capital to buy the things you want later in your life, like the promotions. And there's a great book if you are in your 20s, I would highly recommend The Defining Decade. It's written by Meg Jay, and it's about how to live your 20s so that the rest of your life are exactly the way you want them to be the rest of your years. So yeah, The Defining Decade, highly recommend. You know, a lot of this podcast, and when we talk about Life Amplified, it's really creating an extraordinary life that is lived on your terms. What does that look like for you? What is your version of Life Amplified? We talked about Pensacola, my, our second location, and that was an example of me not living life on my terms because I felt pressured to grow. 
the company when I wasn't ready and I didn't want to, and, and I didn't want to grow in that way. But I listened to the people around me who said, no, this is the next step. And, and I did what I thought I was supposed to do. And then it failed because my heart was not in it. And it was very painful. You know, I had to sell that and tell all these students that they, they didn't have a job anymore. It was awful. So that experience really reminded me that I can't move forward on things unless I really want to do them. And now I would say I'm very good about, you know, not just taking opportunities because they're there, but is it something I really want? If not, I'm not doing it. Kristen, this is actually one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. It's, this is so great. I'm so excited that I got a chance to talk to you today. The book is Permission to Screw Up, How I Learned to Lead by Doing Almost Everything Wrong. You can buy that at Amazon. I imagine they can probably get that at your website as well. Well, if you go to my website, you can learn more about the book, and there are links to where you can buy it. But it is sold anywhere that, that books are sold. Beautiful. And if people want to connect with you online, on social media, if they want to find out more about you, where do they go? Kristen Hadid is my social media handle for everything that I have. And my website is kristenhadid.com. Thank you so much for your time. It was so awesome talking to you. Uh, It's really been a pleasure. Thank you. I really enjoyed that interview. And if you did as well, be sure to share this with your friends online, screenshot the podcast, upload it to Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to let Kristen and I know you're listening. You can tag her at Kristen Hadid, last name H-A-D-E-E-D, and you can find me at CSC Dan Mason. You can pick up her new book, Permission to Screw Up, How I Learned to Lead by Doing Almost Everything Wrong. We got a link for that for you in the show notes. And of course, as always, if you're looking for a mentor or coach to help you overcome your perfectionism so you can get unstuck and create a career in life you love, I do have my waiting list open right now. There's going to be some spots opening up in the month of May for you and I to work together. Find all the info at my website, creativesoulcoaching.net. And don't forget, we can keep the conversation going. Share your thoughts in our private Facebook community for listeners of the Life Amplified podcast. We got 400 strong in there who are just lifting each other up, supporting each other, and sharing their aha moments each week. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash Life Amplified. In the meantime, turn down the volume on your negativity, turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live Life Amplified. I'll talk to you next week.